between the enterprise and the individual is something that is broken down in many cases and cause people to say, I want to make sure I feel good about what I'm doing. It's not just about punching a time clock and getting a gold watch and a pension in 25 years. There's something different out there right now. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. Technology is creating a market for things that never had a marketplace before. It's going on all around us. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today are facing a global war for talent. At the same time, talent with the skills that companies are fighting over want more flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. Talent now has a choice, and this is pushing companies to change. We will bring together thought leaders, staffing experts, and independent workers to talk about the changing nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to attract the talent that will alter the course of their business to ensure success as the pace of technological disruption increases. Welcome to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Paul Estes. My guest today is John Healy, the Vice President and Managing Director of the Office of Future of Work at Kelly Services. As a workplace disruptor himself, John understands the intrinsic value of connecting people to the right jobs that enrich their lives, no matter where they are in the world. Hi, my name is John Healy. I work for Kelly Services. I run what we call the Office of the Future of Work. So I've been waiting to have a conversation with you, John, since we were on the panel over at the uh, Gig E Summit. I don't think I've ever met someone who is from the Office of the Future. Can you you tell me a little bit more about about sort of your journey to the Office of the Future? Been with Kelly Services for 26 years. Been in a variety of different roles throughout the organization. And I guess kind of the, the, the consistent point is that when things got uncomfortable somewhere in the organization, there was something new that we needed to explore into or a a structural change that we needed to consider, I seem to gravitate towards that area. And so if you look back to roughly the end of 2017, Kelly, like many other organizations, felt this sense of disruption that was happening to our industry. So we did what a lot of organizations do. We brought in a large big box consulting firm to, to let us know what the threats and the opportunities were that were associated to this disruption we were experiencing. You know, we got the chicken little story. That was the easy part. You know, here, here are the things that are going to go away. Here's how automation is going to make jobs go away. Here's how the, the gig economy is going to come into play. Here's how uh, AI and algorithms are going to change things. But what we really didn't get out of it was a sense of where opportunity was going to come about. And so my role became one about really leaning into what's next, trying to figure out what are companies doing as they try to figure out how to get work done? What are workers doing as they're trying to figure out how to make their life better? And then how do we as a service provider within that industry help bridge that gap of connecting people with work in ways that enrich their lives? So uh, it's really a, a, a sense of freedom to explore into the market new ways of connecting people with work. Now, we, for people that aren't familiar with maybe Kelly Services, Kelly was one of the original disruptors that created the world of independent work. Can you give me a little bit of history on Kelly at the beginning? Sure. Wonderful history lesson. It's follow World War II. At the end of that, um, Russ Kelly founded an organization. He saw a, a very significant gap 
that you had a large population of educated women that were no longer in the workforce. Their husbands came back from war. They took the jobs back. And you had this, this pool of talent that was incredibly capable but being under leverage. So Russ built an outsourcing company at the time. They were transcribing ledgers along the way. And uh, at one point, Russ was on vacation. One of his customers called the office and asked his secretary if she could come over for the day and do some work. And she did. And uh, that happened the next time what Russ was on vacation. And, uh, you know, one time is, is a data point, two times starts to form a trend. And Russ said, you know what, maybe there's an opportunity here. Kelly is, is attributed as the, the birthplace of the modern temporary staffing industry in the U.S. So um, very exciting 70 plus years as an organization that we've been doing this, evolving from, you know, that outsourcing organization to a pure temp staffing organization in, in office clerical and light industrial areas to a company now that, you know, whether it, it's scientists or engineers or we're the largest provider of substitute teachers in the United States or it's outsourced solutions, whether it's um, remote contact centers with a 100% virtual workforce or recruitment process outsourcing or complete outsourcing of the, the workforce strategy of engaging third-party workers into companies. So highly diversified company, about $5.5 billion in top-line revenue of, of who we are. Wow, and a lot of those industries that you were just talking about seem ripe to be disrupted by disrupted by technology. I know you've been doing a lot of work thinking about how to frame the space and, and get some of the key insights and trends. And if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about some of the ones that you've seen. Uh, the first one that I heard about or read about when you sent some of the pre-information was the search for purpose and meaning. And I wanted to start there because it's one of those things that I struggle with because the news today, if you, you know, go through the internet, talks about how millennials are you know, want purpose and want meaning in their work. And I'm, who am not a millennial, and I don't think you're a millennial. I want purpose and meaning in my work too. So help me understand that trend and, and what you're learning about it. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll back up for maybe a second, just let you know that the research that we did in these trends, it was done based on some work that, that we had seen and a set of conversations that we explored with a company called Stylus out of uh, New York and London. And uh, Dr. Antonio Ward, we engaged to, to help us really explore how the consumer mindset is influencing the expectations we have in the workforce. And so these trends start really digging into that. And it, you know, it began from a simple comment from Gallup along the way that in their research, they were saying 70% of the workforce view employment from a consumer mindset. So if we, we just take that as a backdrop, as you go into that first one of the, this search for purpose and meaning, it's an interesting market that we've evolved into in that we all care a little bit differently about who we're associated with. As the world has become far more public and what you do is online, whether it's in your Instagram feed or your Facebook account or you know, whatever it is that you're putting out there, more judgments are being made about what's there. And those judgments are on corporations. Those judgments are on individuals. And people have started to take this position that I want to be associated with organizations and people that I feel good about being a part of. And so more and more challenge coming into that. I think the data we got is, is that 79% of the people out there expect a good brand to support a good cause and to make money. 
And so you have this changed expectation that's out there. And, and so you start getting into this question of what is purpose? And every organization has their own. You know, for us, it's about, you know, why do I come into work every day? And at Kelly, that's to connect people with work in ways that enrich their lives. And if the activity I'm doing is not doing that, I'm not fulfilling my obligation to the organization. You know, as you start hearing the stories inside an organization, you start recognizing the authenticity of that purpose inside organizations and what's out there. But, you know, Paul, you could go to a lot of the, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, uh, years ago, they were, they were producing drugs and getting them into the market as fast as they can. Now they're about saving lives and enriching communities. So companies are starting to be, be being held accountable, not only from a consumer perspective, but a talent perspective. But how is that different than before? Did, did we all wake up one day and just say, hey, I don't want to work for that company that's spreading misinformation or that's, you know, causing greenhouse gases? Like, what changed over time? Yeah, I, I think that's purely transparency. The, the amount of information that's out there and what's going on and more things being called into question. You know, whether you, you know, look at the socioeconomic and the political environment that we're in. Politically, we're in a much more charged environment about nationalism in some geographies. The all about global. So you have trends and patterns that just move around. Right now, we're in that point where I really care about the ideas and the values of, of what's going on. And I can find out whether you're authentic or not. Are you seeing that across the spectrum of employees? Anyway, I know we're seeing it in the consumer space. I don't think that's a millennial thing or an older person. I just think that we're all conditioned to want to support organizations that are doing good. And I think that's one of the reasons all the CEOs signed the, you know, the big chamber of commerce letter saying, hey, we're dedicated to trying to figure this out. Let's not be and 100% altruistic, what we also see is that if, if, if you look at the data, an individual who is feeling that their work is highly meaningful is generating an additional $10,000 of labor output per year. So there's an economic value of having people who care and are fully engaged into their organization and doing things. So we, we know that's a part of it. But yeah, I think it's almost all ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I've, I've got 20 plus nieces and nephews that are between their mid 20s and mid 30s. Uh, they're a wonderful little um, focus group for me when I get them together at different events and all have different views. But what is very consistent is the amount of courage they have to speak up right now. And I think if you look at that amongst the youth that's in the workforce, and then you look at that 50 to 70 year old worker population who maybe either they themselves or someone in their family saw their organization turn against them at some point. They were laid off. The you know, factory was closed down. Something went on. That that trust between the enterprise and the individual is something that is broken down in many cases and caused people to say, I want to make sure I feel good about what I'm doing. It's not just about punching a time clock and getting a gold watch and a pension in 25 years. There's something different out there right now. And if that existed at all, I mean, I, I have a story that I often tell my grandfather and my father both received gold watches and pensions yeah. <laughs> after, you know, 35 or 40 years uh, to their company. Are you seeing differences in how people feel, whether they are an employee, like a full-time employee or a contractor or independent worker or freelancer? Yeah. Uh, and again, you've got different ends of the spectrum. I think everyone likes to plug things into a single one size fits all mode. 
And if you really look at this, whether it's gig economy, the passion economy, the freelance economy, we can get into a lot of different words on it. But if, if you look at that space, you've got a couple ends of the spectrum. One, where supply and demand is upside down, where there is a, a very low amount of supply and a high demand, AI workers, a lot of the tech areas, a lot of the high-end engineering areas, those individuals have a degree of power that they've never had. And so they're declaring their expectations. They also tend to be at the higher end of the, of the wealth spectrum or the earnings spectrum. On the opposite end, you've got a lot of people who are hungry for work in a lot of different ways. And they're almost desperate um, in some cases. In some cases, the gig economy may be the only way they can find something or it may give them a sense of freedom to step out. And so you have different needs and expectations based on where you are in that spectrum. And I think part of this is just recognizing what each of us is looking for is actually individual. You know, we hear about medicine being highly personalized at this point. So is your career. Your career is going to be what you want for yourself. And that may be different. Purpose might be to make enough money to go on a really cool vacation. And so it's not all about the purpose of the organization. It's about aligning with your values and what you're trying to do along the way. So I know you're a dad, a mentor, a big sports fan. I'm imagining you have a lot of interest outside of your job at Kelly and the work that you do. Help me understand how companies are dealing with that you know, work and life. Like it used to be, oh, there's this thing called work and this thing called life. And now it feels in many ways is they're just smashed together. And technology has made both a 24 and seven activity. And so help me understand the multiple me. Yeah, the multiple me is a really fun one. Um, Work-life balance is over. And it's a, it, it's a false reality. If we all just look at whatever smart device we choose to carry, it's got things from your personal life and from your professional life that, that are there. Even if it's just your, your travel app, um, you use the same app for when you're traveling for work or you're traveling um, for personal life, you check into that same Delta app the same way and you do it on the same device. So we, we've merged some things together along the way, but in general, we've reached this stage where I expect the people to understand who I genuinely am not just my job title. This is about both self-exploration and self-expression of people who want to have some clarity about why they do the things that they are. Again, if you go back and you, you want purpose in what you're doing, you also want it to fit who you are as an individual. I think that the root of a lot of this has been the dramatically increased focus on diversity, but also on inclusion within workforces. And so if you look inside organizations, and I want to be truly inclusive to you and make you feel good about who you are inside the environment, I need to know you about more than just your job title and what you do. I need to understand what makes you tick, what makes you excited, what gets you motivated, and is going to get the most positive energy out of the work that you're doing. And so taking the time to, to genuinely understand who someone's whole self is is the first part of that. What if my whole self has a side hustle, which by the way, is a, is a modern term for something that used to be bad called moonlighting. How are companies starting to grasp the idea that the education I receive outside of work might be a side business or might be a, you know, a passion project, but I'm still making money, but it's on 
you know, like you said, a, a phone or a device that has work stuff on it. Like, how do you start blending these ideas, given that a lot of companies have really rigid constructs and haven't caught up with this? This is a really fun one in an area you're going to see, I think, a lot of change. So the data, it's uh, Chris Gilbro, or there's a variety of different sources you could go to in here. 50% increase from 2015 to 2019 of people on a side hustle. Okay, so, so that is a reality. Now ask the question, why is that side hustle not encouraged at work? So in the, in the company that you were at that you said, wow, that would have been cool to do some work on. I was with a, a company, we were studying um, changes in the workplace, the physical place where we go to work. And, and this organization was trying to create more cross-functional teams, groups collaborating in different ways. You know, they didn't want finance sitting on the third floor and HR on the fifth floor and marketing on the eighth floor. And, you know, and never do we talk to one another. So as they were redesigning their building, they created one of the, the floors. Um, half of it was made all about blockchain. And it was some, they were doing some projects in the area, but they were curious what would happen. And so it was open seating plan, you know, the whole HGTV thing. So we let everyone come in into this space. And then they started tracking who was coming in there and realizing, you know, oh, okay, they had a whole bunch of people from their finance team that was coming in. Okay, they're curious about that. A lot of IT folks were coming in, but they had people from every part of the organization who was coming into it. And it caused them to realize, all right, there's something different going on here. And now they got to ask some questions like they we were consulting with them and doing an experiment on it. And so they created a workshop to do some, some activity on this blockchain project that was there. And historically, they would have gone to all their, quote, high potentials and said, you know, you guys are being voluntold. You get to work on this project. <laughs> voluntold. Instead, here, they went to these individuals who have been coming on the floor and they, they had such a high level of engagement. They said, we're going to do this weekend project. It's not paid, but you know, it's just an experiment. We're trying something. We want to learn. If you're interested, come on in. They had four times as many people show up as they anticipated. They struck a chord because they engaged people in something they were interested in, they cared about. It was part of one of their me's. And they just didn't know that in the past. And it caused them to trigger things and change what they're capturing in their engagement surveys, learning about, you know, what do you do on the side? Or do I just have, you know, your CV? You know, for me, Kelly, the resume they have is 26 years old. It's not really going to say much about who I am and how my life has changed over those 26 years. But if they take the time to ask the questions, I can opt into sharing an awful lot of information that will allow them to learn how to better utilize me along the way. Well, that's one of the reasons I, you know, I started a podcast about a year and a half ago was to start getting content out where people were telling their stories. And I believe that that content is the modern day resume, like that conversation and, and what you, the value you can bring to organizations starts to become this sort of living resume of thought and value. You talked about, you know, a company who found their internal people to work on internal projects. But how do companies start digesting the multiple me that has a project outside of work? And by the way, that learning provides value, you know, and look, I'm, it's not a competitive thing. You know, if I'm making widgets, I'm not over here making a competitive widget, but I am out there, you know, doing something else and, and, you know, probably making profit on the side and it's a side hustle and a passion project. How do companies start to grapple with that reality? Because it's happening, but you can't talk about it. The rules just say you can't talk about it. Well, it's accepting that it's taking place. 
You know, we're, we're saying up to 25% of today's workforce is in some kind of a side hustle, whether that's driving for Uber on the weekends because they just want to make some money, or they got an Etsy site going on, or, or whatever that is, more and more people are doing it. So if we want to hide from it, we can. I think it's a pretty sad way to operate. So can we start accepting that that's going on inside environments and find out what's there? Maybe you'll learn a little bit more about how you could better utilize people inside your organization. But, it, you know, it's kind of, I, I think if I remember right, when we um, were out in San Diego at the, at the gig economy event, you know, we asked the question, how many people in the room have engaged a contractor or engaged a worker through the gig economy through one of the online platforms? And it was still only about a third of the room. Yeah, the year before I asked that question to about the same size room and three people raised their hand. So, you know, from the from my perspective, it's a significant percentage increase, but I'm I'm still shocked that people, especially in the staffing industry, aren't out learning about the trend. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, they're hiring freelancers nonstop, but the fact that they hadn't engaged someone or, or understood hiring somebody on demand over the internet is always an interesting data point for me. What you're seeing, Paul, that's, that's getting really neat is this idea of hybrid jobs that's helping people start to grasp it. So it's still on that internal gig, but it's you're seeing people come into an organization. Part of their time is in finance. Part of their time is in marketing. Part of their time is in IT. Go back to the early days of career pathing and you know the high potential, and you bounce them from one part of the organization to the other to learn. Look at the increase of people who are entering small businesses because they want to have broad exposure, not just be deep in one field. It is a mindset shift that's taking place that says, I want to do things differently. So if I can't find that hustle inside, I'm going to find it outside. And your education side of things is a big part of it because the the large enterprises are dramatically reducing their learning and development departments which means if I want to go learn about something, the odds of me taking that out of my wallet becomes much higher. And so if you're not going to pay for it and you're not going to engage me into it or reward me for it, then I'm going to go do it on my own. When I started my career in tech, uh, I was part of a rotation program. So I spent probably two and a half years rotating through different parts of a marketing department and sales department. It kind of followed me throughout my entire career. I just kept rotating. So every, you know, every year, every 18 months, I'd find myself into a new position, you know, throughout my entire tech career, because I thought that's just how it was supposed to be. And I think you're starting to see more people come into the workforce with that expectation, whether they are, you know, granted that privilege when they start or not. The understood self. I know that, you know, corporations aren't mind readers, how are they supposed to understand me or how am I supposed to, you know, they've got my resume, my manager, I talk to, you know, every once in a while and, and my coworkers, I kind of know, but as an organization, how am I supposed to make that connection more broadly? So when we talk about the understood self, what, what the research said is that consumers seek balance across wellness, mental health, happiness, and creativity, and they expect brands to enable this. So, so that's a pretty tall order as, as you laid out. It's, you know, so the first question is why should a company care? And then how do I do it? So why do I care? It's uh, Jeff Pfeffer at South by Southwest cited 60% of all workdays lost are lost due to stress-related absenteeism. Yeah, and for people who haven't read his book, Dying for a Paycheck, it's, it's worth reading. I, I read yeah. it not, not too long ago. 
so, you know, at some point, governments are going to start holding enterprises accountable for creating this degree of stress inside environments. So, so if, if we look at that and say, okay, there's a reason to do it, you go back, we both talked about learning. Okay, I'm going to go take a course on my own. If you're going to improve yourself and your value in the marketplace, you're going to do it for something that you care about. So this idea of, of self-improvement that's happening, this idea of, of caring about wellness, it's not necessarily that I as a corporation need to teach you what is going to make you happy, but it is important for me to start acknowledging if there are trends and patterns that are creating that happiness along the way or are creating stress. You know, I, I referenced that this whole HGTV kind of thing that we've gone through in large enterprises, everyone's, you know, doing the open concept floors and, and office space. For some introverted people, that is the most stress-inducing environment you could possibly create, putting them in a little fishbowl where everyone's watching what they're doing. And it causes some people to really go into a deep anxiety. Are we taking the time to ask the questions or just include into the benefit packages that we're putting some of the, the different options that are out there for people to, to you know, have a safe place to go, to have a community that they can talk to if they're a first-time remote worker? Are, are we curating those communities internally? So that people can just say, hey, this worked for me or, boy, I'm really struggling because I've got kids at home. You know, our kids are, are, are homeschooled. I got pets in there. I feel awkward when I'm doing meetings in there. I'm just struggling to get going each day. You know, all of those things are realities. It's one of the reasons I'm you know, passionate about remote work or flexibility or, or giving people the choice around flexibility. You know, I was having a conversation once a long time ago at a, at a job and we were talking about, is there a remote policy? And, and the folks looked at me and said, hey, well, what's, what's the policy for your team? I said, well, we hire capable people that do good work and they're grownups and, you know, they make a decision on how and where uh, to do that work. And if they're letting the team down, well, you know, that's a different conversation. That's called a performance conversation. But I think giving people that freedom, sort of the panacea of what we talk about sometimes when we talk about empowering employees, but it requires a lot of trust that the, the systems and the policies don't really comprehend today. And there's somewhere, Zappos to me is one of the companies doing some really cool stuff there. They've got a kind of this opt-in culture. So you can, you can have a, a life coach there who will help people uncover the path to, to finding the best version of themselves. There's a very deliberate investment in your people that, you know, if, if you're getting the best of someone, you're certainly going to reap the rewards of that, but they're going to feel good about you. And, and to your earlier point, you know, the more engaged, and all the, all the statistics say it, the more engaged I am, the more financial output there is for the company, the less turnover, like that, and on and on and on. Yep. The last trend I wanted to talk about, which is, I think, very specific to uh, technology and the gig economy, is the algorithm-led led discovery. The first thing that pops, I'm sure, to everyone's mind is, you know, Uber and some of the gig economy matching platforms. Yeah. Uh, but I heard there's a really interesting example that you have around Netflix. Yeah, th this was fun when, when we were going through this and, and actually did it. We had a group of people in a room together and we all pulled up our Netflix account and they, they said, what, you know, what, what was your last binge watch? And it was Stranger Things. We said, OK, everyone pull up Stranger Things on your Netflix account. 
And let's look at the row art that they show you. And what we learned is that there, there's nine different pictures that could come up for the exact same show, but it's based on our viewing history. So one person in the group loved teen dramas. So you know, you've got this group of five kids all standing around. That's there. You had other people that were into horror movies and, and you know, you're seeing things there. You had others that were into more of a murder mystery. You had different stuff. You saw a degree of personalization pop up based on history. And, and then the question came up, what about your intranet? Does the marketing team see the same thing as the finance team, as the same thing as a frontline customer service rep or a CEO? And sadly, in most companies, we all see the exact same information, even though every organization knows today what you're going into and what your patterns are. We have that data. And so it really got to these questions about if as an organization, especially if you're a beta to see business in any way. So you've got customers out in the market, treasure the information and the insights that you can gather from those individuals so that you can make that experience more personalized, better fit for who they are, what they're doing. Yet we don't do that with our own workforce. And so this opportunity to take advantage of some of these algorithms that are there to start understanding who people are and start matching the information that we provide them to their roles, to their interests, to the things that, that they're asking for. Certainly, we need data privacy and we need to protect all of those aspects. But there are so many opportunities to leverage the technology and the algorithms to make a better experience for all of our workforce. Let's take it to, you know, to the core of what Kelly does, you know, helping people find opportunity. There's sort of a double-edged sword when it comes to algorithms helping people find out. I mean, algorithms themselves are not perfect, and sometimes the underlying data is either biased or not perfect. Yep. And so how do you think of an algorithm helping me find my next job? We look at it kind of at two levels, match and fit. So the match it tends to be about objective criteria. And where we're seeing algorithms work really well is when you're in roles and occupations that a lot of the qualification for that role or occupation is because of the match part, because of objective criteria. So if you're a nurse and you are certified for an operating room nurse, or you're a teacher and you're certified as a special ed teacher, or if you're a welder and you're certified to weld on certain objects, that objective criteria makes the match good. And then the bigger question becomes about the fit. Is that the right environment for you? Is that the right spot for you right now? The algorithms that are being used to marry up objective criteria are fantastic because there's not a lot of question around them. Unfortunately, in today's world, we have very few jobs that are 100% based on objective criteria. So we encourage you know, using the algorithms where you can do things objectively, but also just doing some learning, doing some regression analysis. We'll take everyone back to stats class and you know the learnings that you have in big data. For us, it allows us to sit with a customer and say, you know, we know that the pay rate you're offering is significantly lower and it's decreasing the, the probability of filling an order by X percent. And so it's less attractive or it's allowing us to alter our, our recruiting patterns if we're seeing people who are commuting this distance seem to stay in a position less time. 
So now I might ask you, you know, Paul, you seem to be a really good match for the position. But if we're talking about fit, let's talk about the commute. What would that mean to you and your family if it was taking an additional 45 minutes a day on each end to get to and from? Are you okay with that? That goes back to some of the trends of multiple me and really trying to understand what people value. Not everyone today values the most amount of money. In fact, a lot of people, you know, you, you've seen the statistics and research when it comes to flexibility. You know, yep. that has a monetary price. What is it worth to someone not to commute 45 minutes every day each way to a job? It has a financial impact to it. So I think in the algorithms, to me, one, be careful letting the, the, the data give you an absolute answer. But allow the data to tell you these are real patterns and something I need to explore. So this idea of algorithm-led discovery, the algorithm gives me some information. It lets me know I need to talk to Paul more about this, not just make an assumption here because there's a question that surfaces. So you know, I think that one of the big risks in data is a lot of people think it's just an easy button. It's going to give me all my answers. No, it's, it's going to give you different areas to explore and maybe learn a little bit better about making not only the match, but also the fit. It informs decisions, doesn't make decisions. Correct. All of those were, were fascinating. If somebody wants to learn more about these trends, where, where are they posted? Certainly, you can reach out um, to me through LinkedIn or um, HealyJW at KellyServices.com for email. We've got a whole series going on. We've hit on four of them today. There are an additional four trends that we're unpacking. Uh, Antonio Ward from Stylus, who I referenced earlier, and I did a video shoot to kind of walk through each of these eight trends that are out there. So certainly reach out either to me directly or to Antonia, and we'd be happy to explore into it. There's some fun stuff, and it, it's leading to some, some fascinating insights along the way. That's great. And we'll make sure to put the information uh, in the show notes for this show. Before we leave, there's a section of the show that we do called Rapid Fire. And you've not seen these questions. There's five of them. So I'm going to ask the questions and I ask you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Now, one of the things that we do with this section is you're now allowed to ask me two questions. I had a couple of guests that said it wasn't fair for me to put them on the spot and me to get off scot-free. So at the end of the five questions, uh, I'll give you the opportunity to ask me two. Ready? Yep. What is one thing about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile? The last of eight kids. If you could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be and why? My mom, because I learned so much from her and I still have more to learn. She's led a fascinating life and is a hero of mine in many ways. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know how it all came about. Well, her mind is still very strong. If you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you? Oh man, now it's watching Survivor. So I need fire and shelter. Everybody always tries to bring like things that are helpful. I, I try I, like when I answer that question, it's things that have like absolutely because I'm never going to get off the island. I'm stranded. <laughs> so I, I, I guess I'm in trouble because I didn't say my wife and children. <laughs> <laughs> See, there is no right answer. <laughs> what book or movie has inspired you most over the past year? Machine Platform Crowd by Andrew McAfee. I think it's a, a fascinating look into the way this fourth industrial revolution we're experiencing now can be compared to the second industrial revolution. So many areas where we are creating waste, not creating value in the market. So I strongly encourage that as a read for anyone out there. And the last one, what is better, unbridled curiosity or attention to detail? 
unbridled curiosity without question. There you go. Now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask me to. You don't have to, but I want to give you the opportunity to ask. Let this go away. (laughs) Let this go away. That's too much fun. So I'll go back on the book question to you. What is the book that has most influenced you other than your own in the last year? (laughs) Give work. There was a, a book called Give Work about how the most important thing that we can do to uplift people is to give honorable work and help them reskill by doing. You know, it sort of fundamentally changed the way I look at my purpose and the work that I do in helping people find you know, meaningful opportunity. And second question for you is since you left big tech and joined the gig economy, what's been the biggest surprise for you? I was actually talking to my dad about this the other day. I think the biggest surprise is I learned that I was an introvert, which shocks a lot of people who know me, but I'm, I'm getting a lot more energy from, you know, I, I spend time on Zoom calls and, and working and talking to people and I have children, like I'm not short on interaction with humans, but I'm getting a lot more energy by being able to sit down and focus on work instead of being in, you know, big meetings and, and around tons of people all the time. And I think that was one of the most eye-opening things because I was really you know, scared, to be honest, of, oh, I'm going to work at home and there's not going to be all these people. And I spent 20 years in, you know, big companies and having lunch with everyone. And so far over the past three months, it's been the opposite. And so that's, that's one of these learnings that is, is actually really surprising to me. Good for you. Good for you. Well, congratulations on the move. Well, hey, John, thanks so much uh, for your time uh, today. We'll make sure that if people want to get in touch with you, the information will be there on the show notes. Is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with? One last thought. Jump in. Give it a try. Don't be afraid of what's going on in the marketplace related to the gig economy, related to expressing yourself, related to, to being vulnerable in the market. The, the world is far more open and the information is far more transparent and the opportunities are, are far greater than I think we've ever seen in the market. So now is the time to, to jump in give things a try, do your experimenting and have fun along the way. I, I've never been more excited to be in the market and working around this way that people in work connect because I think there's so many more opportunities for people to take advantage of today than there have been uh, in a really long time. That's great. Thank you, John. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. To learn more about the future of work, and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversations, go to www.staffing.com, where you can find insights from experts, sign up for our monthly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the web. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 